0: The first reading is Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32, and it's on page 798. The parable of the lost son. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father... I want my share of your estate now, before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And the second reading is Romans, chapter 8, the first four verses, and it's on page 862. Life in the Spirit So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit.
1: Uh, you recall me maybe saying last week about how we're going through the book of Romans. Alistair's leading us along there, so we're reading through the book of Romans. But I'm also suggesting that sometimes we have a bit of a pause at times to read around the book of Romans, whether it's any scripture in the Bible or maybe some other letters of Paul's. And Alistair uh, also mentioned this morning too that sometimes we want you to also read ahead in the book of Romans. Sometimes just so we're... On the right track, we know where we're going and, and take time, not just to hear it once, but read it yourself, hear it in a message, read it again. Uh, and we did a sneak peek there. Sandy read us a bit of Romans 8, so we know what's coming in the future. And last week, we also looked at um, the phrase uh, from Romans 1 of living by faith, okay, or faith in, li- in our life, life in faith, which can mean both the future, where we are living by faith because we believe in Jesus Christ, that He died, He rose again, and therefore we believe in Him and we can have eternal life with God our Father. Uh, and if that's what we believe, then it means living by faith will be a day by day action. That what we do, what we think, what we say will be because of that um, faith we have in the coming eternal life. And if that's our faith, if that's what we believe, then we can expect. That along the way there might be some hurdles and challenges in that journey of faith. Hurdles that may hinder our growth of our faith, both individually or as a church, the body of Christ. Fellowship and relationships that we have with one another will help us grow in that faith. But when there is hurt or bitterness, indifference to one another, or offence in any form, even if it's not intended, relationships can become a hurdle. And because the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, lives and dwells in every believer, in each one of us, then when there's conflict between us, it must grieve the Holy Spirit. Conflicts will arise in our lives. How we deal with these conflicts and reconcile any break in fellowship will demonstrate our understanding of our relationship that we have uh, with Jesus, our Saviour. Last week I suggested that reconciliation... um, is a natural process, or should be a natural process of any fellowship. Uh, and again, reconciliation should sit right beside fellowship. Let me try and um, explain what reconciliation is without all the jargon, without the big words. We, I, sometimes I use big words as I'm talking about um, the Bible and about God, and I know what they mean, but sometimes they just flow over our heads. So I want to try and explain reconciliation in a very simple general term. Reconciliation means mending or bringing back together things, people or groups that were once a whole. Reconciliation has to occur when there's been a separation of of two things, people, groups. It could be a physical break in time or distance. So it's not necessarily, uh, it's almost like a a reconciliation is like reuniting. There may be a period of time that you haven't caught up with someone not because you've been offended, although that might be a cause why you stop catching up with them, um, but it might just be that life has got busy. We've allowed busyness to interfere with our fellowshipping. Or it could be a spiritual or emotional gap, conflict in a relationship which stops us from fellowshipping with one another as we might have done in the past. To understand the importance of reconciliation in our Christian lives, it's good to reflect on the greatest story ever of reconciliation, when God reconciled us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And we know that story, but in thinking about it and pondering on it, boy, I feel refreshed. Uh, How many people have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Narnia Chronicles, or seen the movie? (coughs) Quite a few. It's a lovely book to read, and C.S. Lewis uses that Christian imagery to speak a whole lot of truth to us. And there's one part... In the Lion, Witch and Wardrobe, where Mr. and Mrs. Beaver uh, are there, the children have just entered Narnia, and they say, Aslan is on the move. And as they hear that name, Aslan, they don't know who he is, but they feel excited. There's something about it which is encouraging. And so, too, um, when we think about the greatest story ever of reconciliation of man to God, it's exciting, no matter how often we know it. Uh, also, if you, if you need to look at it in different ways, if you're a Netflixer, how many people do the flexing by Netflixing? <laughs> I do, all the time, you can see how good a shape I am. Um, uh, if you're a Netflixer, then there's uh, The um, Overcomer, is a, a movie, a Christian movie came out last year, I don't know if people have seen it, but it's on Netflix at the moment, I'll watch it. It's a lovely story, just a, a human story, about overcoming and reconciling and forgiveness. So sometimes we watch those sort of movies, there are some good movies out there, and they soften our hearts to God's word. So what I'd like to do today, I hope you come on this journey with me, I'd like us to look at the greatest story of reconciliation of all time alongside what Sandy read to us, the parable of the lost son, of the prodigal son. And like uh, all stories, uh, it begins with um, the beginning, a man had two sons. Sounds like a good, nice family. And so too, at the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created this world perfectly. In fact, you can look around creation at the moment and still see that perfect design by a creator God. Even amongst all the the genetic defects, the mutations, the downfall, the sin, there's still signs of that perfect creation God has made. And our relationship with God at that very time, Adam and Eve, was perfect. The Lord walked with Adam and Eve through the garden of Eden at the cool of the day, so it was a very physical, personal and perfect relationship for mankind and God. And then we have the story of the the lost son, who um, the youngest son tells his father, I want my share of the estate now, before you die. And in that culture, what that would have meant was, Dad, I wish you were dead. All I want from you is the inheritance. Don't care about you, I just wish you were not here. That's what he's sort of saying to his father. And so too, when Adam and Eve were tempted and deceived to believe that they would be better off changing their relationship with God in a way they were saying, God, we don't need you. We wish you didn't exist. And when we act in that same way, we speak like this lost son, this prodigal son, to his father. And so, the story continues with the prodigal son. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. There's a gap, not just in relationships, but in time and distance. And so too, mankind was separated from God. There's nothing that we could do now to enjoy that close relationship man once had. We can't pay it back, we can't offer something, we can't make amends. Mankind began this downward spiral moving further and further away from the perfection God created them in. This first little story of Adam and Eve, we hear of like the break in the relationship between God and man. But then if you keep on reading in Genesis you see that that affected the relationship between brother and brother with Cain and Abel, horrendously. And so whatever break we have of relationship with God, it does affect our relationship with one another. So mankind began this downward spiral, moving further away from the perfection God created them in. And there's no way it seemed that we could be rescued. There's no man who fitted that criteria to be the rescuer. And it's like in the story of the prodigal son. He's in this distant land. All these things start happening. He's lost all his money. There's a great famine. He's hungry. He's poor. And he finds that even the pods, the scraps that he's feeding these pigs, look good to him. But there's no one who will offer him anything to eat. And so he comes to his senses. In this case, it's called repentance. Finally, he comes to his senses and he says to himself, at home, even the hired servants had food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. And he makes a decision in that repentance. He says, I'm going to go home to my father and say, Dad, I've sinned against you and heaven. I'm not worth being called your son. Please take me in, just even as a hired servant. You know, when, when the fall of mankind came um, and it seemed like there was no way forward, God had a plan. It was going to cost God a lot even if there was no reason for him to other than his awesome enduring love for us that he should show his grace and mercy to us all he's going to give man an opportunity to be reconciled to him and while he was planning that plan was in the making he taught Adam and Eve and, and all their children their children uh to act out that plan to take a a spotless lamb, an unblemished lamb, and to sacrifice it on the altar. And he also made his plan known, little snippets of it, to prophets along the way, so that when Jesus did come, it was a clear sign that this was part of God's plan. Individually, we repent, we realise how we've rebelled against God and all the blessings he's given to us, that we have sinned, and so we need to seek God's forgiveness like that prodigal son. And so that son returned. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And God is always waiting for us to turn to him, whether it's the very first time that we give our lives to Jesus as our saviour, or if it's along the journey of Christianity and walking in our faith that We know we slip up, we make muck-ups, we do things we shouldn't, we sometimes don't do things we should have along the way, and we turn back and repent, and God sees us coming. He's waiting for us. And His forgiveness is immediate. Okay, we don't have to wait for it. Just like with the son coming along. He's coming along, and the father runs out to him, and then he says, quick! Bring the finest robe. Bring a gold ring. Let's make sure we know this is our son. And God sent his son in human form to show us the way. I'll read uh, one little sentence from Romans, which Sandy read to us again. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus can relate to every aspect of our lives our hurts, our sorrows, our joys. There's just one thing he didn't uh, find, uh, go through during his ministry until he was on that cross, and that was total separation from God the Father. And he had this relationship with God the Father all the way through, and then on the cross, He takes all our sins and that final, huge, agonizing uh, burden of actually having a separation from his father. He says, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? However, on that day, through his death on the cross, a bridge was made to allow mankind back into the presence of God. God the Father also demonstrated on that day another little sign. In the temple, in the hot we there in the Holy of Holies. We've got this curtain which separates the Holy of Holies from all of us. And it's not just a, a warm curtain. It's not a thermal draped curtain. It's a thick curtain. Okay, It's very thick. And it gets torn, not from the bottom, where someone can rip it up from there, but it gets torn from above, from God down to man. And it makes a way, it makes it clear for us to go um, into the presence of God himself. The barrier between man and God was gone. There was a way back to God's presence, but there's still only one way. You have to believe that Jesus Christ was and is the Son of God and was resurrected from the dead. Jesus is the only one who meets the criteria of being that perfect lamb to be sacrificed so that we could be brought back to God. And just like in the um, story of the lost son, um, The father says, quick, bring these clothes, the family clothes, bring the gold ring. So too, God clothes us again with white linen. The purity of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not our own self-righteousness, but actually Jesus. Every element declares that we are his child too. He identifies us as a child of God. And so, the party began. And so too, when we are reconciled to God, whether it's the first time when we call him our saviour, or when we make a mistake, when we know that we have to get it right, there's celebration in heaven for us acting in this way. So the first part of the parable represents God's perfect plan of reconciliation between us and him. But the final part of the parable asks us to consider how we might imitate this and do our very best to be reconciled to one another. Sometimes we struggle to do that, like the older brother did. Let me read a little bit about what happens there with the older brother. Son's come home, the father celebrates, he brings him in, he kills the fatted calf, there's a big celebration, the older brother's out doing some stuff for his dad. And when he comes in here, he wonders what's happening. And when he finds out, this is his response. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But that brother replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing for you. And in all that time you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate the killing the fattened calf. See, in his actions and his words, we start seeing a little bit about his relationship with the father too. First of all, he seems to um, see himself as knowing better than the father. This is what should have happened. And he also talks not about himself as a son. He talks as if he was a slave. All these years I've slaved for you. He feels like he's earned the privileges and not taken up the opportunities as if he's done the works needed to be a son. And he also puts up this barrier between not just him and the father, but between him and his brother. He says, this son of yours, do we do that as parents sometimes? Your son did this. Or do we um, sometimes say, oh, that's my daughter. (laughs) Sometimes we use the words and actions can sometimes reveal a little bit about our relationships. And so the father responds to this older brother. He says, Dear son, you've always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And you see, the father loves the son just the same. And the father is teaching this, son, the art of reconciliation. We have to celebrate. This first service today, we sung the uh, Lord's Prayer. Uh, you will know that. Uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those. Who sin against us. Do we mean it when we sing or pray that? Let's take a little closer look at the second part of the parable to consider what God calls us to do in our day-to-day reconciliation with others. First, it's important to note that the reconciliation that God calls us to act out is different from simply the sort of unity that the world sometimes asks us to. There's some good in that unity, but being accepting of all ideologies, ways of life, faith, all those sort of things, um, that's what the world encourages. The only, there is only one way back to God, one way of full reconciliation, that's through Jesus Christ. Anything that contradicts or adds or removes that truth is not bringing back the fullness of reconciliation that God wants us to demonstrate. And this in itself will uh, cause conflict in the world. So think deeper about the, the reconciliation, the art of reconciliation. And there are some unseen characters in this story, the other members of the community, the other elders in the city, relatives, close friends of the father. We don't hear about them, but there's a hint that they're not far away. Perhaps they are the people, the neighbours, the relatives, the friends, who are the ones who start judging. Not just the prodigal son, but also the father. They say things such as, you could see that coming. Or they might have said, if only the father had done this. Or if it was my son, I would have. That son is not only a disgrace to his family, but to the rest of his relatives. And in fact, to the whole community. These are the voices and the words which might have been spoken and as I mentioned, when the son asked for his inheritance, it was as if he was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. And as far as the elders of the city were uh, concerned, that son deserved to be stoned to death for such a uh, sin, as if he was murdering his father. And perhaps that is the reason why the father loses all dignity and runs out to the son as he sees him from a distance. Because his neighbours... The others around him were ready to throw stones at the son. That is why he's so quick to re-identify the son by putting on the family clothes, linen for rags, and was uh, so keen to put on that gold ring to re-identify him as his son. And anybody who wanted to have his son harm his son would have to go through him first. God reminds us that in Scripture, for ourselves, that we are so cherished by Him. In Zechariah chapter two, verse eight. There's this beautiful phrase. God says this, whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. That means the very core in your eye and the thing which he delights in, that's you. We may also become offended by the actions or decisions of someone else even if it doesn't directly concern us. We simply might find that it contrasts our way of thinking of how we would do things What we would do under certain circumstances and the actions of anyone else who does things differently offends us, even if it's not directly to us. Do we make a pile of stones and arms reach ready to hurl at these people as words and thoughts whenever or the situation comes to mind? Whether or not we or the other person might be at fault, there are some times when reconciliation, amending relationships can only occur through a real power of the Holy Spirit. It's the times when, when we might see that person on the other side of the street and, and ignore them. Or we might dread walking um, into the supermarket and coming face-to-face with them. Or being in the same room, even in the same church, attending the uh, church and then they're in the foyer. We feel awkward and uncomfortable and it's a feeling which is awful. These are the situations when you're doing everyday chores And it comes to your mind, you create an image of you arguing with this person, trying to justify your point of view. And it it eats away at your time and energy. And if that's the case, either now or in the future, then you know you really need to persevere in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to free you um, from such hurt, from such offence. And it may take a bit of time. You might have to persevere with that prayer again and again. But if you do, if you're really longing to be reconciled, then the Holy Spirit always makes a way. And it might be at one point in time you simply do come face-to-face with that person in the supermarket. And there's no way of escaping it. And it might be that they didn't even offend you directly, but there's a time then for the Holy Spirit to heal those hurts and offence in your life. And when that happens, you know the difference. You know the Holy Spirit has actually acted and you will feel like a whole weight of stones has gone off your shoulders. And the other wonderful thing is that hurt never comes back. And with the different personalities and dealing with different circumstances in our lives, we may need to try different strategies to be reconciled with others where there's been a break in fellowship. The Holy Spirit can bring us to a situation of reconciliation if we really are open to that. And it is important to realise that these suggestions, these promptings aren't an alternative to saying, I'm sorry, or you offended me. That is important. The words are important to say if that's the case. And the other person might not even realise the hurt. But sometimes we can act in a certain way to heal that hurt, to heal the relationship. And it might not be emotional or spiritual. It might be just time and distance. Something's got in the way of you catching up with someone. <coughs> Maybe you give a phone call or a text simply saying, Hi, how are you getting on? Maybe it's a simple conversation starter that continues to rebuild that relationship of someone you haven't caught up with for a while or who you just feel a little bit different to. Hi, I haven't caught up with you for a long time. I've just been thinking about you. How are things going? What have you been up to? And that's the beginning of healing. <coughs> it might be in the act of giving. Maybe you do some baking or you have something which you can drop around. A card, a pass it on card, a note, some baking. And it's no no expectation that you're invited in. But here's just something. I've been thinking of you. Thought I'd do some baking for you. Now, if you get a whole lot of baking this week, um, don't be worried. It may not be just simply that... There's a lot of people who feel offended. It could also be pastoral care. Okay, I, For pastoral care, I feel real comfortable when I have made my children do the baking, um, not myself. Uh, that makes me feel good too. Um, but actually, if I've got something to go to someone to say, hey, just come in and say hi, here's some baking for you. And there's no expectation on me coming in and spending up their time. But if they want me to come in, I can. So there's, that's part of reconciling, not... Because there's an indifference, but just because you haven't caught up with them for a wee bit. So if you get lots of baking this week, feel free to share it with me. (laughs) You can bring it. Yeah, true. Um, And I, as I mentioned last week, reconciliation should be a part of the natural process of fellowshipping with one another. And fellowshipping with one another in various ways should be a part of our weekly lives, not just on a Sunday when we're all sort of facing the same direction, except for me. We live in a broken world and sometimes reconciliation doesn't come easily or sadly, in some circumstances, not at all. Yet we need to pursue and pray for reconciling of fellowship. When it does occur, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to be back to normal, back to the way it used to be. A relationship will have changed. It will be different because the reconciliation will make it stronger than it was before, so that as we move along in our faith, if certain circumstances happen again and again, we actually can overcome them without taking time on reconciling. Like the older son, we need to look at our relationship with the Father, God our Father. What thoughts and words suggest that we have the wrong attitude to our walk with Jesus? What suggests that we are wearing our own self-righteousness rather than righteousness of Jesus Christ? We need to remember how God has reconciled us back to him and then he teaches us the art of reconciliation. In the Gospel of Luke, we have read the parable of the lost son. There are three parables, one after the other. And it starts with a parable of the one lost sheep out of a hundred. And in this parable, it reminds me about how precious that one individual is. We're not just one in a million. God knows each one of us and each one is precious to him. And then we, um, in fact, Isaiah 43, um, God says this, Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Then we read the second parable, and it's about the widow, the woman, who has lost one coin out of her ten coins. And she sweeps the floor clean. She searches and searches until she finds that one coin. And then she celebrates, just like the shepherd celebrates. And then finally we have the parable of the lost son. One son out of two, or as many of us recognise, perhaps it's seen as both sons need reconciliation to the Father. And the parable doesn't just speak of the reconciliation that we should have with the Father, but as I said, it demonstrates the lesson of reconciling with one another. As we prepare for communion, we recognise that we act this out realise the importance of reconciling with God or repenting for the things we've done wrong along the way. And we also come to communion, realising that we need to make things right with one another. Take time, even as we're praying and as Alistair leads us in communion, to let the Holy Spirit prompt us if there's, if there's a relationship we need to make amends to. And it might mean that it's the beginning of a journey, but one which restores, one which builds up, not just you, but actually a church or a fellowship. Take time to consider anything that God is prompting you to think about in the Word as you read, as we sing and and ponder in our prayers. And if you are prompted by the Holy Spirit... Don't just put it aside. Keep looking and searching how you can act upon it straight away. There are times when um, people have passed away and, and we just wish we'd had that little bit more time over the last two, three weeks just to get in t- contact with them. But busyness got in the way or society got in the way. If that's ever happened to you, know that God can still reconcile that relationship, knowing that there's still art of reconciling, whether it's with other family members or, or simply knowing in yourself that God is in control. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your word, for all that you've taught us as we read it individually and even as we come together as a church, a body of Christ. I pray, Lord, that you... Help us to remain open to the Holy Spirit when you're teaching us something new, teaching us something different, when you have to prompt us to act or when we stop should stop doing something. We ask for your forgiveness, Lord. But we also ask that, knowing that forgiveness, knowing that you have forgiven all our sins on the cross, that now we are to imitate the act of Reconciliation with one another. Even when it might just simply be that we haven't caught up with others. Help us to grow in our fellowship so that we may glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen.